Tonight, a Canadian flight crew gets the green light to go home after seven months of detention in the Dominican Republic. Free to leave and finally see their families. Yeah, I'm going to be coming home. After being thrown in jail for reporting cocaine on the plane. They've been scared for their lives. A solemn salute as the crowds return for Remembrance Day. Those who came before us, those who gave so much. And using science in the search for the fallen. We were all awestruck. We just couldn't believe it. Plus, compounding chaos at Twitter. This was a disaster waiting to happen. Ballooning bogus accounts and a staff ultimatum from Elon Musk. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. We begin on this Friday night with what appears to be the end of a nightmare in a Caribbean country that draws hundreds of thousands of Canadians each and every year. Tonight, the Canadian flight crew, two pilots, two flight attendants, and a part-time maintenance engineer of a Pivot Airlines charter flight have been told they are finally free to leave the Dominican Republic and return home. They've been detained for seven months, even jailed, after reporting the discovery of eight duffel bags containing 210 kilograms of cocaine in the belly of the plane. Authorities haven't charged them or even interviewed them. Seven passengers have also been told they can leave. W5's Avery Haynes is on the ground in Punta Cana tonight and starts us off. Avery. Omar, W5 has been down here investigating just how 12 Canadians could be detained in the Dominican for more than seven months without charges ever being laid. And then out of the blue, the prosecutor filed this document in the courthouse. Now, it's written in Spanish, but for the passengers and for the crew, this translates into freedom. In this moment, Pivot Air pilot Rob DiVenanzo is just a dad. Hi, Dad. Hi, sweetie. Hi. How, how are you? Telling his daughter he's coming home. I'm good. They dropped the case. So I'm going to be coming. What? Yeah, I'm going to be coming home. Oh, Dad, I'm so happy. 220 days on a tropical island might sound like paradise. But the crew has lived in constant fear because whoever stashed these drugs on this plane is out tens of millions of dollars. They've been scared for their lives. Like, I don't, I don't mean, like, fake scared. I mean, really scared for their lives. You know, they, they were whistleblowers. They informed on organized crime. They were at extreme risk. You know, to hear this good, good news today, just, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. After seven months, I'm like, this is the real news now. This is real news, not progress. No, so no talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. It's like real news. Yeah. Oh, my God. Since their arrest last April, neither the police nor the prosecutor has conducted even one interview with the passengers or with the crew. In fact, the only court hearings have been about whether to revoke bail. And so some are a little skeptical about their release. We're very, very excited. This is the closest we've been to going home. 
But at the same time, we're scared about getting heartbroken. Uh, we've been let down, hearing after hearing. This has been our coping mechanism for the past seven months, so we're excited, but we just, we're hoping for something a little bit more concrete on Monday. Now, there's nothing in this document that explains just why the prosecutor has now decided to release the Canadians. And they might not be coming home very soon. It could take up to two weeks for the paperwork here to be processed before they get on a plane back to Canada. Omar? Still a step closer tonight. Avery Haynes in Punta Cana. Thank you, Avery. Here at home, Canada's largest pediatric hospital said today it's cancelling all non-urgent surgeries to try and cope with the unprecedented number of children in its care. In a statement, SickKids Toronto said the decision was made to protect its intensive care units for the most dire cases and free up staff. The hospital's ICU has been over capacity for several days as pediatric units countrywide are struggling with a surge of young patients suffering from flu, COVID or RSV. The pandemic robbed Canadians of so many different experiences. But today, crowds no longer had to keep away from the National War Memorial on Remembrance Day. Instead, thousands gathered to honour the Canadians who have served and sacrificed so much in times of war for the cause of peace and freedom. CTV's Glenn McGregor takes us through the sombre ceremony. The first veterans parade to the Cenotaph since before the pandemic. The few remaining who fought in the Second World War are still determined to attend. Every year, my son comes down from Whitehorse to take me down, and I enjoy it. Come down by train. But for many, remembrance is a duty inherited. My two uncles and a grandfather fought in the First World War from Newfoundland. The, the two of my uncles were from Newfoundland, so they were in the trenches. I'll be thinking of my grandpa. Uh, he was in the Air Force in the Second World War, and... He was an inspiration to me. He was the reason I uh, joined the Air Cadets as a kid. A more recent mission claimed the life of the son of this year's Silver Cross mother, Candy Graff. 28-year-old Master Corporal Byron Graff, a father of two from Alberta, was the last Canadian soldier killed in Afghanistan when a NATO bus he was traveling on was struck by a suicide car bomb in Kabul in 2011. Another modern war is weighing on those who came to pay respects. What's happening in the Ukraine is a shame on the entire world. With the Prime Minister travelling to Asia, his wife Sophie Gregoire Trudeau and son Xavier came in his stead, along with the Governor-General, the Veterans Minister and Canada's top soldier. Today is a day that's filled with emotions as we reflect on you know, those who came before us, those who gave so much and those that are continuing to, uh, to serve. This year, special note was made of the 80th anniversary of the raid on Dieppe, the deadliest day for Canada of the Second World War, claiming 916 lives, marked today by a flag recovered from the beach in 1942. With public health measures lifted, crowds returned to the National War Memorial on an unseasonably warm day. the ceremony as poignant as ever. The most courageous of our sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, partners, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, these heroic souls stood on guard. Then fly past by CF-18 jets and vintage fighter aircraft. And finally, the observance of a newer tradition, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier draped with poppies from the lapels of Canadians who came to remember. 
Glenn McGregor, CTV News, Ottawa. As Glenn mentioned, the Prime Minister missed today's ceremony because he's on his way to a series of meetings in Southeast Asia. However, during a refueling stop in Anchorage, Alaska, Justin Trudeau did take a few moments to thank about a dozen members of the military, including crew members from the Royal Canadian Air Force. November 11th may be for veterans, but for some who served, it is a difficult day that reignites old wounds. One soldier who has worked hard to process the past has now been honored for his very personal sacrifice. CTV's Vanessa Lee with that story. The floor is yours. Sharing his journey of healing with high school students, Brian Carey says this is the first Remembrance Day he hasn't avoided or felt the need to be alone. I choose this day to be sad. The first part of the day. The second part of the day, I changed my attitude and I try to celebrate the people that I knew. Kerry served as a captain in Afghanistan in Operation Medusa, Canada's largest combat operation since the Korean War. Twelve soldiers were killed, including five from his unit. When I came back, the world hadn't changed, but I had. He returned suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. The memories, they're still there, but they're not maybe as intense. Fifteen um, years later, he remains yeah. determined to overcome the, the invisible scars yeah, of war. So on the right side... Today, he was honoured with the Sacrifice Medal. This is a very special individual who, frankly, deserves all the recognition he gets because he's working through his wounds in a sense that he's engaged very deeply with a whole number of uh, veterans issues. Practicing resilience. Kerry also suffered multiple head injuries. He says people don't realize soldiers are at high risk during training and combat. As part of the team at the Concussion Legacy Foundation, he is now on a mission to raise awareness. Until I started working on my brain health, it, it, that's, that's, that's when things ch changed for me drastically. His presence here is changing the way students see sacrifice. We usually talk about, you know, oh, the soldiers that were lost and this is their names and stuff. But we didn't actually think about that in the actual context of what an actual battle would be like. Kerry says there are many veterans who deserve the sacrifice medal, but may be too traumatized to fill out the paperwork. He hopes they're able to get the recognition they have earned. Omar. All right, Vanessa Lee in Montreal tonight. While the focus was on past wars today, there are new developments on a current one, including a major victory for Ukraine. There were celebrations in the nation's capital after hearing that Ukrainian forces moved into the key city of Kherson in the south after the withdrawal of Russian forces. CTV's chief international correspondent Paul Workman on the major setback for Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin vowed that Kherson would be Russian forever. Forever lasted nine months. Today, jubilation as the first Ukrainian soldiers entered the city after a major and humbling retreat by Russia, giving up on its most significant victory of the war, in reality, chased out. Today is historic, said the country's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. We are returning to Kherson. We are starting to enter. Our special forces are already there. 
Russian media aired video of a partially collapsed bridge left in ruins as the Russians fled across the Dnipro River. 30,000 soldiers, all weapons and military hardware have been withdrawn, said Russia's military spokesman Putin was nowhere to be seen. Just a day earlier, Russia's commander in Ukraine endured the humiliation of publicly announcing the withdrawal, accepting yet another setback for his army. Hours later, the Ukrainian flag was being waved over Kherson's Freedom Square to the sound of people shouting glory to the armed forces of Ukraine. In villages west of the city, there was evidence that Russia's retreat was hasty and disorderly. Ukrainian troops found hundreds of abandoned mortar rounds and ammunition, heaps of crumpled Russian uniforms. But the soldiers were gone and the brutality of their occupation was over. The people of Kherson were waiting, said Zelensky. They never gave up on Ukraine. Despite the threats and the abuse, they never gave up. This was Russia's third major setback of the war. Tonight, rather absurdly, the Kremlin is insisting the region is still part of Russia, even after such a crushing retreat, Omar. All right, Paul, thank you. Hurricane Nicole is now moving north as a tropical depression dumping rain on the Carolinas and Georgia after leaving a path of destruction along Florida's Atlantic coast. Drone footage shows the scale of damage with dozens of homes destroyed in Daytona Beach. At least five people have died, including a man and a woman electrocuted by a downed power line. Atlantic Canada and parts of Quebec are now under rain and wind warnings as Nicole tracks further north. Coming up, the firestorm at Twitter. Nobody wants their brand associated with a dumpster fire. The problems piling up for new boss Elon Musk. Plus, an emotional moment for a Leafs legend. One of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, FTX, filed for bankruptcy today, dragging the price of Bitcoin down 4%, the latest in a string of major corrections for digital currencies. Rumors about the company's financial stability spooked customers who scrambled to withdraw billions. It's estimated FTX owes as much as $10 billion, including $95 million to Ontario's Teachers Pension Fund, which says FTX's collapse will have a limited impact on its fund. Elon Musk has put bankruptcy on the table for a company he just paid billions to buy. The revelations are in a leaked audio recording of a meeting between Twitter employees and their new CEO, in which he gives workers an ultimatum, stop working from home or resign. CTV's Joy Malbin on Twitter's turbulent week. It's not the kind of traffic Twitter hoped for. From an imposter pope, drunk tweeting, a phony LeBron James looking to be traded, to a prankster premier, Ontario's Doug Ford demanding a Timmy's. Twitter was forced to scrap its paid verification service after it was flooded with fake accounts. 140,000 had already paid for the blue check mark. Anybody with eight bucks, a smartphone and a credit card can essentially claim to be anyone they want online and then don't put the protections in the Twitter platform to ensure that these kinds 
kinds of abuses don't happen. This was a disaster waiting to happen. A disaster with real consequences. When imposters offered free insulin on Eli Lilly's account, the drug giant's stock took a hit. This Lockheed Martin hoax was halting weapon sales, and Nintendo didn't take too kindly to their Mario flipping the bird. This latest chapter in a seemingly never-ending train wreck isn't going to give advertisers who have put their campaigns on hold any confidence. It's just as true now. Nobody wants their brand associated with a dumpster fire. Big-name advertisers have already fled since billionaire Elon Musk pronounced he was the savior of Twitter. He's fired roughly half the staff, including some who filter out hate and misinformation. Since Musk took over, researchers found racial slurs against blacks soared nearly 500% on Twitter. Now Musk is demanding remote workers return to the office full-time, warning if they don't raise more cash soon, Twitter might declare bankruptcy. We can't scale to a billion users and take massive losses along the way. That's not feasible. After a day of chaos brings Twitter to the brink, the billionaire tweeting tonight that usage continues to rise. One thing's for sure, Musk says, it's not boring. Joy Melvin, CTV News, Washington. Still ahead, return of the king. <laughs> Toronto's Swedish star takes center ice once more. A bizarre escape from a farm in southwestern Ontario has ended in tragedy. Security footage shows up to 30 horses roaming a residential area in the middle of the night. The driver of a vehicle, a 60-year-old man, hit one of the animals. They both died. Police say the remaining horses were collected and returned to the farm. There was a powerful moment tonight during a tribute at the Toronto Maple Leafs game for a hockey legend now battling ALS. A standing ovation for Borea Salming, along with an emotional hug from former teammate Daryl Sittler. Salming was the first Swedish player ever inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Selming revealed his diagnosis earlier this year. The illness has taken away his ability to speak, but fans made sure they could hear their support. Beautiful. And the familiar voice, the caped crusader, has died. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Kevin Conroy, who gave voice to Batman for three decades, passed away after a battle with cancer. He cemented his success on Batman, the animated series that ran from 1992 to 1996 and went on to become the almost exclusive voice for the character in 15 films, 400 TV episodes and two dozen video games. Conroy was 66 years old. And when we return, a Canadian military family finds comfort a hundred years later. One of the cruelest realities of war is that many loved ones never return home. Crueler still is not being able to give a name or a face to those who died in service. CTV's Kevin Gallagher on how DNA technology is unlocking mysteries of Canada's military past. Private John Lambert was only 17 years old when he was killed fighting with the Newfoundland Regiment in Belgium during the First World War. 
His family received a letter saying he died for king and country, but they never knew what happened to his body. My father often spoke about him and said that he must have been blown to bits in the war. That was his way, I guess, of trying to explain why he didn't come back. Nearly 100 years after his death, archaeologists in Flanders uncovered four sets of remains in 2016. One had a clue, this piece of a Newfoundland soldier's uniform. Then it was trying to find a DNA donor for the 16 Newfoundlanders that were missing from that particular battle. Sarah Lockyer coordinates Canada's casualty identification program for unknown soldiers. She says Lambert's case was particularly complicated because of the three British soldiers buried alongside him. We got lucky. We are able to find a DNA donor for Private Lambert and the results were positive for him. We were all awestruck. We just couldn't believe it. After missing for more than a century, Private Lambert was finally given a military funeral last June. Anne Smith said goodbye to the Uncle Jack she never met, a moment her late father wished for too. I know he would have been extremely pleased that he finally, you know, have a, a resting place for his, uh, his brother. The remains of more than 27,000 Canadian soldiers are unknown. The majority fought in the First World War. Still, there are efforts underway to help identify them. Since 2007, the program has been able to successfully identify 35 sets of remains. A painstaking effort to help families grieve for those lost in battle. Kevin Gallagher, CTV News, Ottawa. Incredible effort to piece together parts of our history. And that is a snapshot of this Friday. Sandy will be here this weekend. We leave you now with powerful and poignant moments of today's Remembrance Day ceremony in Ottawa. To all those who have served and continue to serve and sacrificed, we say thank you. Good night.